Welcome to the third season of Learning Bible Truth Ministries. I am the founder, host, and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. This ministry is here to teach you Bible truth. Teaching truth allows you to grow in faith and learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. I sometimes read entire books in the Bible so you can know the story, not just the scripture. I also teach a series about a certain subject, so I want you to invite family and friends. Get your Bibles, grab a pen and paper so you can take notes. Now sit back, relax, and learn Bible truth. Welcome, saints and Bible truth listeners. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. We have reached episode three of this undetermined amount of episodes series entitled, Do You Know the Signs of the Second Coming of the Messiah? Um, I want to thank everyone who, who is reaching out and, and, and who are listening to this series I appreciate you. We over here at Learning Bible Truth appreciate you. I'm just happy that you are seeking truth and keep the questions coming and I will continue to answer every last one of them. As we move forward, I will uh, begin to get into some of the signs of the second coming of the Messiah that are present today. Now, as I studied for episode three, I thought about my goodness. Um, I may lose some some of you guys in terms of interest because of some of the things I'm going to talk about. But I'm asking you to hang in there and just listen. Um, it is. I'm going to talk about some things that you may consider to be well. You know what? Um, that's inevitable. So I ask that you just hang in there and just listen. So if we take the time to study history, we'll find that, you know, someone far more prominent than Albert Einstein called attention to the awe-inspiring power of exponential growth. You are going to hear me talk about exponential growth a lot throughout this episode. In fact, the other person who talked about exponential growth. He said it will be a major sign marking the end of the age and the second coming of the Messiah. So who was this distinguished person? That person was Jesus the Christ himself. Now, almost 2000 years ago, the disciples asked Jesus point blank, what will be the signs of your return and the end of the age? And Jesus responded by mentioning a variety of global signs. He also talked about spiritual, natural, societal, and political signs. And he said these signs would appear in a distinct pattern like birth pains. He mentioned this in Matthew 24 verses 3 through 8. So I will say this. With all throughout this episode, I will be talking about things that the the Christ mentioned in chapter 24 of Matthew. We will be covering the entire chapter. 
of Matthew 24. Okay. But what did Jesus mean when he said birth pains? What could spiritual and natural and societal and, and, and political signs possibly have in common with birth pains? Now, birth pains, or we can also say labor contractions, are sharp pains which increase in both intensity and frequency in the moments leading up to birth. So did you hear what I just said about the labor pains? It increases in intensity and frequency in the moments leading up to birth. They become more frequent and have greater strength leading up to the big moment. And Jesus is telling us this same pattern will precede his coming. So what is this pattern? It's essentially an exponential curve. If you were to plot labor contractions on a graph, the result would be an exponential curve that increases right up until the time the baby is born. So what Jesus is saying is that the signs he describes and the general nature of things in this world will increase in both frequency and intensity just prior to his arrival. In other words, the signs of his coming will increase exponentially. And this is how we'll know he's near. So what are these signs? I know you guys, some of you guys got upset when I say, oops, out of time last time you guys were waiting. I really appreciate you listening though. So we are going to talk about some of these signs. So many of the signs that Jesus described to his disciples are general in nature, meaning they've occurred throughout history. Things such as false messiahs, earthquakes, famines and war. And he mentioned this in Matthew 24 verses four through seven, but these signs have always been a part of life on earth. So many people wonder how can these be true signs or markers, if you will, of the end times, if these are common events that have taken place throughout history, the answer is clear. It's not the signs themselves but the unprecedented method in which they appear. By saying these events will be the beginning of birth pains, Jesus is saying that they will increase exponentially prior to his return. Wars will kill more and more people. That's more frequent. <clears throat> Excuse me. High magnitude earthquakes will occur with greater frequency and famines and the other signs he describes will impact more people more frequently as the end nears. So do we see any evidence of these signs increasing exponentially in our world today? Yes, we do. It's just that a lot of people aren't paying attention because they really don't know. In fact, the evidence is all around us. So let's talk a little bit about weapons of war. I want you to think about it. For most of human history, wars were fought primarily in one way, through individual hand-to-hand -hand combat. You had a spear, a sword, or a club, and the other guy had his. You didn't kill someone from a hundred yards away. You did it up close and personal. And for the most part, you killed your enemies one at a time. This way of fighting ruled the world for thousands of years from Cain and Abel down through the ages. Now, there were advancements in war, but these advancements were part of a study. 
you know, you know, seemingly incremental progression toward more powerful and deadly weapons. Now, Cain and other early uh, people most likely used their hands or they, they created weapons like tree branches and, and rocks and, and use them as weapons, but it didn't take long for people to create, you know, custom weapons like flint arrowheads and knives and spears. The bronze age quickly followed. Now, by combining copper and tin at high temperatures, people created swords and daggers and axes, and they were stronger than copper or polished rock. Then came the Iron Age. Iron sharpened easier, and when added to carbon, it produced superior steel weapons, far less likely to break or fracture than stone or bronze. Now then the, the Chinese developed gunpowder. When knowledge of gunpowder made its way to Europe, the Europeans invented more accurate firearms, eventually using them to conquer the New World. The Stone Age weapons of the indigenous people proved no match for gunpowder. <coughs> you guys have to excuse me. I ate some mixed nuts before the episode started and it's starting to scratch my throat. But throughout this whole process, it took thousands of years for man to make the relatively small advance from clubs and sticks to the development of accurate firearms. Oh my God, which is Pandora's box. Now, yet throughout all these advancements in weaponry, hand-to-hand -hand combat remained the dominant method of war. In other words, since the dawn of time, things were much the same as they had always been. But since the dawn of the 20th century, it's a different story. The outbreak of World War I in 1914 revealed the development of airplanes and balloons that could drop large explosives from the sky, the design of armored vehicles that could advance over waves of oncoming soldiers, the introduction of weapons of mass destruction such as poison gas that could kill large numbers of people indiscriminately and the power of rapid fire machine guns that would allow a single person to fire more small caliber rounds in one minute than 80 men equipped with rifles. I want y'all to think about that for a second. 25 years later, World War II revealed the development of even more powerful weapons, including nuclear bombs, a single weapon capable of destroying an entire city in the blink of an eye. Weapons couldn't possibly advance beyond that, some of y'all are saying. But yet, in the decades since, the introduction of jet airplanes, hydrogen bombs, nuclear-armed submarines, and even weapons in space have revolutionized warfare. Today, we have unmanned drones capable of dropping precision bombs that can fly right through the front door of a terrorist hideout. We have robotic spies the size of mosquitoes and defense systems capable of destroying an incoming missile in midair. Think about that, saints. And the destructive power of our weapons. Even Syria, the 54th most populous nation on earth, is suspected of having a stockpile of chemical and biological weapons large enough to kill the entire population of the earth 12 times over. Think about that. Just a single drop, 100 milligrams 
of searing gas will kill the average person in a few minutes. And some experts speculate that Syria has more than 100 tons of searing gas, enough to kill more than 90 billion if effectively delivered. Now, we don't even have 90 billion people on Earth, but it's expected to be able to kill that many people. But so far, nothing has promised more destruction than the development of nuclear weapons. Bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki in World War II unleashed the equivalent energy of approximately 20,000 tons of TNT. Nevertheless, just 16 years later, the Soviet Union tested the most powerful nuclear weapon ever, a hydrogen bomb that was nicknamed the Tsar Bomba. It unleashed the equivalent power of 50 million tons of TNT. Now, more than 2,500 times as much explosive power as the bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Now, clearly, the destructive capacity of our weapons and, and, and war-making ability has increased exponentially. After thousands of years of small, seemingly incremental advancements in weapons technology, we've experienced a sudden and rapid increase in innovation. And this innovation shows no signs of slowing down. In just 150 years, we've gone from generals on horsebacks to generals in computer command and control centers. Now, given the increased destructive power of our weapons, it's not surprising that the slaughter of war has also increased exponentially. While estimates vary, most experts believe somewhere between 230 and 240 million people were killed by war in the 20th century alone. That's more than the entire world population in the first century. Part of this is attributed to the overall growth in world population, but it's also a result of the increased destructive power of man-made weapons of war. Now, if you plotted the destructive power of the world's weapons on a graph, guess what kind of curve you would get? And if you plotted the number of people killed in each century by war, guess what it would look like? If you said an exponential curve, you would be right. Now let's talk about famines. Jesus said famines would be more frequent and they would be more intense. As the population of the world has grown, famines have caused more and more death and destruction in their wake. In fact, while the Roman Empire's entire population at the time of Jesus is estimated to have been approximately 55 million people, the first half of the 20th century alone witnessed these famines. Now, in 1921, the famine in Russia killed over 5 million people. Between 1928 and 1929, the famine in China killed over 3 million people. Between 1932 and 1933, the famine in Ukraine, it killed over 7 million people. 
Between 1932 and 1933, the famine in Kazakhstan killed over 1 million people. In 1936, another famine in China killed over 5 million people. And between 1942 and 1943, another famine in China killed over 1 million people. Now, there was a famine back in 1943 in Bengal, India. It killed over 2 million people. Between 1946 and 1947, there was a famine in the Soviet Union and it killed over 1 million people. Between 1959 and 1961, another famine in China. China had a lot of a lot of famines. It killed, guess what? Over 36 million people. Now these are approximate statistics. Okay. Numbers may vary slightly based on my source of reference. Okay. Articles, newspaper articles, magazines, and history books. Now that's more than 61 million people who perished from famines in just 40 years. Now does this sound like business as usual? Are things the same today as they've always been? Of course not. The world has seen a dramatic increase in both the, the frequency and intensity of famines since Jesus first answered his disciples' questions. Now let's talk a little bit about earthquakes. How do we measure an, an increase in the frequency and intensity of earthquakes? Advanced instrumentation to detect and measure earthquakes is relatively new. We all know about the Richter scale. It didn't exist until 1935, and most seismographs at the time failed to detect and locate uh, any earthquakes under a magnitude of 3.0. Yet today's sensitive instrumentation routinely measures earthquakes with negative magnitudes. So any attempt to catalog the total number of earthquakes over any meaningful time period is reliant on distorted data. So this data will, of course, show an increase in the number of earthquakes in recent times. But this is attributed to seismographic technology that have enabled us to detect previously undetected earthquakes, if you will. It's not necessarily because there's been an increase in seismic activity. But what if we just look at modern data from the last 100 years and look only at earthquakes that register a magnitude of 8.0 or greater. This will give us a much more accurate picture because most instrumentation during that time period was advanced enough to detect an earthquake of this enormity. Now, and what we're trying to do is see if there's been an increase in frequency and intensity, or shall I say magnitude, of earthquakes. That's all we are trying to do. So what does that data set show? Now, according to the Advanced National Seismic System, Composite Catalog 1, there has been a marked increase recently in the number of earthquakes with a magnitude of 8.0 or greater. So when I call out these earthquakes in um, their years, what we are going to do is just uh, talk about, or what I'm going to do is just call out the ones that are 8.0 or greater. In the 1900s, there were three of these earthquakes. In 1910s, it was zero. In the 1920s, it was one earthquake. 
8.0 or greater. In the 1930s, it was one earthquake. In the 1940s, it was one earthquake. In the 1950s, it was one earthquake. In the 1960s, it was three of these earthquakes that were 8.0 or greater. In the 1970s, we had two. In the 1980s, we had three. In the 1990s, we had seven, seven earthquakes that registered as 8.0 or greater. And guess what? In 2000s, in the years 2000s, it was 13 of these earthquakes. And in 2010s, it was seven of these earthquakes so far. So the 20th century witnessed 22 earthquakes with a magnitude of 8.0 or greater. But already the 21st century has seen 20 of these earthquakes. Now, if that pace were to continue, we would see 142 earthquakes of 8.0 magnitude or greater by the end of this century. Now, this is one of the signs Jesus said would increase exponentially just before his arrival. And we see it happening today. Uh-huh. So now let's talk about the world population and how it's growing. Another exponential trend that we, we are witnessing today is the global population explosion. Now, according to the U.S. Census Bureau 2, these figures estimate the historical world population. Now, give or take a few years, okay? In A.D. 1, we had 170 million people. In A.D. 1804, we had 1 billion people. In A.D. 1927, it was 2 billion people. In A.D. 1959, it was 3 billion people. In A.D. 17 or A.D. 1974, we had 4 billion people. In A.D. 1987, we had 5 billion people. In A.D. 1999, we had 6 billion people. In A.D. 2011, we had 7 billion people. Now remember, all of this is coming from the U.S. Census Bureau too. Now, during the ministry of Jesus, the total world population wasn't even 200 million. Now, following the crucifixion, it took almost 1800 years for the world population to reach 1 billion people. But the second billion, it came just 123 years later. The third billion came 32 years later. Each billion after that, 15 years, 13 years, 12 years, 12 years plot these values on a graph and guess what kind of curve you'll get. And it's not just the number of people on earth experiencing exponential growth. People are living longer. It may not appear to be because we have a lot of people dying at the age of, of 20 and, and 18 and seven and 10 and 12, but these people are being shot. They are not experiencing a natural death. Now it took thousands of years for the average life expectancy to consistently stay above 40 years of age. But in the past 150 years, we've seen this metric increase exponentially. In 1900, the average life expectancy was around 45 years. By 1950, it was 65. And today, it's close to 80. We know um, the, the late great actress Betty White just passed away at the age of 99. Cicely Tyson was 100 years old. And... We just had Sidney Poitier pass away at the age of 94. 
Uh-huh. Now, after staying relatively constant for thousands of years, the average life expectancy has doubled in the past century and a half. Now, this is evidenced by the U.S. Social Security Administration Log 3 st statistics showing the number of Americans aged 65 and older over the past 13 decades. In 1880, we had 1.7 million. In 1890, we had 2.4 million. In the 1900s, it increased to 3 million. In 1910, it was 3.9 million. In 1920, it was 4.9 million. In 1930, it was 6.7 million. In 1940, it was 9 million. In 1950, it was 12.7 million. In 1960, it was 17.2 million. In 1970, it was 20.9 million. In 1980, it was 26.1 million. In 1990, it was 31.9 million. And in the years 2000, it was 34.9 million. So what explains this increase? For the most part, it's the result of plummeting infant mortality rates back at that time, which itself is the result of better healthcare pro uh, procedures, um, the development of vaccines and, and, and medicines, and increased knowledge of nutrition and, and disease prevention and access to clean water. Now, not surprisingly, our knowledge in these areas is growing exponentially as well. So let's talk about um, technological advancement. Now, one area where things are clearly not the same as, as they've been um, is technology. The rapid pace of, of, of technical change over the past century has been nothing short of staggering. Even over the course of just a decade, the leap forward is astonishing to me. For example, in 1996, um, we, I bought a, a computer. Now it had one gigabyte, a hard drive of one gigabyte and a total cost of $2,600. And in 2006, um, guess what came on the scene? The iPad, you know, the iPad was for sale. Now, each of these palm sized devices had 30 gigabytes of storage and was about $249. Uh, we know you can't, if you get one for $249 today, it's definitely because it's used about four times over. Now that's a 30 fold increase in storage for a 10th of the price in just 10 years. Now think about the power at our disposal. 250 years ago, if you were European nobility and you wanted to listen to music, you had to hire musicians to play for you. Now, if you wanted to hear something new, you had to commission someone like Mozart to compose it. And when you did, you didn't receive immediate gratification. Today, an iPad is affordable for just about everyone in the modern world. You can store thousands of songs and, and have them played to perfection at a moment's notice. And if you want to hear something new or different, you can download it in a, in a matter of seconds. Like me, I have about 200 songs downloaded to a flash drive and I, I put it in my vehicle. Over 200 gospel songs or inspirational songs. So what explains this astounding growth in technology? Huh? 
All of it is best explained by Moore's Law. Now, this was formulated in 1965. It's named for Intel co-founder Gordon Moore, who observed that the number of transistors on an integrated circuit doubles every two years. This law strongly influences the processing speed, memory capability, and digital display capabilities of modern electronics. Now take communication for instance. For centuries, only a few relatively slow methods existed for communicating information over long distances. You could write down a message and have it delivered by horse or carrier uh, by pigeon, or it can be shipped or a network of flags or other signs strategically placed in certain distance apart. Now, these were your only options until the 19th century. And in some cases, they proved to be relatively expensive. On the 24th of October, back in 1861, the first transcontinental telegraph system was established in the United States. We all know <laughs> Alexander Graham Bell, he patented the telephone in 1876 and the telephone has continued to evolve since. We all know that. Now from party lines to cordless phones, to cell phones, to smartphones, the 20th century brought further revolutions in communication with the introduction of radio, television, email, and texting. Now, this phenomenon of human technological progress closely resembles the exponential curve of birth pains. Both the power and the pace of our technological advancement have progressed and will continue to progress at an exponential rate. Now, as they do so, the turmoil of this world will also increase exponentially. Now, unfortunately, most people are completely unaware of this exponential curve because they're standing on it. Now, if you stand at any point on an exponential curve, the points on either side of uh, on either side of you look like um, incremental steps. It's only when you step back and look at the whole picture that the true nature of growth is apparent. Now, like most people, you intuitively expect the immediate future to be a lot like the, the immediate past. Uh, let me say that. Now, most people expect the next 10 years to be a lot like the last 10 years. And they expect the next century to be a lot like the last century. Those people make a serious miscalculation. Now, they fail to grasp the exponential nature of population and technology growth. Even though both are clearly observable today, this is why so many people can say things are the same as they are, have always been. And then they keep a straight face. Now for those who think the second coming is an uh, ancient myth, the claim that Jesus will return soon is foolishness. Now we need to think back to what Peter said. You know, he said in, in those days, people will start mocking. People will start saying, oh, Jesus is coming back, huh? I heard that one before. Yet the world goes on today just as it has in the past. Now, does what I just explained to you about technology, is, is, is that the same? Is it the same? Does that sound like a, a, a good argument to you? Now, are things today the same as they, they have always been? <clears throat> Excuse me. I think it's obvious that they are not. 
Now, clearly, the world is not the same as it's always been. Now, the 20th century alone was a time of a dramatic change that it's unlikely anyone who lived prior to 1850 would recognize today's world. Now, has that dramatic change slowed any? Uh Uh-uh, not in the least. Our generation is inventing new technologies and lifestyles we have considered science fiction just 30 years ago. Now, at this point, you might say, uh, so what? Now, what's the big deal about it? Now, these things uh, would have happened anyway. That's what I've heard some people say. It's the nature of populations and technology to increase exponentially. That's what people are saying. Now, what I want you to think about is when we talked about the earthquake data, they are, are, I've heard someone tell me, well, you know, the earthquake data is, is a little bit skewed. You know, it's not all that accurate. Now the sample size is too small to be statistically significant. Also today's sophisticated instrumentation means we're detecting more and more earthquakes. Now earthquakes we didn't know about in the past even um, large 8.0 magnitude earthquakes, just because these things are happening doesn't mean that Jesus Christ is coming back to, uh, to earth anytime soon. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. Now, these are all good arguments and I agree with some of them. A lot of these events, most notably the growth in people and technology were probably inevitable. But we know that with the benefit of hindsight, how many people predicted them before they, they occurred, huh? Other than Christ himself. How many people predicted this? Remember, Jesus foretold these exponential increases almost 2,000 years ago. So how many, um, let's say, ancient prophets prophesied this? Where are his uh, contemporaries who made the same predictions? Where are they? Even in the 16th century, with the Renaissance in full swing, how many people foresaw the exponential increases we, we are now experiencing? Yet Jesus did. And he said these increases would signal his return. Now, amazingly, he wasn't alone. One other person also predicted these events, and he did so more than 600 years before Jesus did. And you know what? He also said these events would signal the end of the age and the arrival of the Messiah. Now, who was this man? He was a Babylonian slave named Daniel. That's right. The prophet Daniel more than 2,600 years ago, he said two specific signs would be present at the time of the end. And both of those signs are present today. And you know what? We are out of time, saints. We are going to talk about those two signs that the prophet Daniel predicted would happen just before the arrival of Christ in episode four, which will air next Sunday. So saints, I hope you um, enjoyed this episode. Look, it's not that long. I didn't intend it to be that long. Um, But I I think that it is very informative. I hope I I opened your eyes and your ears because I know you weren't thinking about this either. But I want you to stand by for an invitation to accept Christ and then continue to listen for information on how you can contact me directly. And I will be more than happy to answer your questions. If you have 
uh, any questions about scripture. If you have any questions about episodes, upcoming episodes or past episodes, I am more than happy to answer your questions about that information. So until next time, saints, just hold on for an invitation to accept Christ. If you don't know the risen Savior, now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. Saints, tomorrow is not promised to you. There will be a time where Jesus Christ will no longer be available to you, and those who call upon the Lord will not be saved. So all you have to do is repeat after me. Go to Romans chapter 10, and we are going to read verses 9 and 10. You can include verse 11 so that it can give you understanding of verse 9 and 10. So saints, God made his salvation plan simple for every man, every walk of life, every ethnicity, every color of skin to come to him and be reconciled to him through the blood of Jesus. So let's say this prayer in all sincerity. Father God, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, and I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead. And your word says, if I confess this, that I am saved. So Father God, I believe that Jesus is your son, and he is Lord. And I confess with my mouth that he is seated at your right hand because you raised him from the dead. Amen. Saints, if you made that confession and you were sincere, you should feel a change in your heart. That is the seal of the Holy Spirit, and you are sealed unto the day of redemption, and no man can take your salvation away from you. So, saints, I want you to join a faith-based teaching church. Contact Learning Bible Truth. You can continue to listen to Learning Bible Truth until you find a church home. Contact us and tell us what area you live in and we will conduct a search and tell you what church is teaching Bible truth and direct you to that church so that you can be baptized. Yes, you are not saved by water baptism. Water baptism is symbolic to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you come up out of that water, you come up as a new man but you are saved before you get baptized. So saints, I hope that you were sincere. Play this tape for family and friends. Lead men to the risen Christ for salvation because there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. And that is the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this message, you can contact us by emailing talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com. If you would like to sow a seed in this growing ministry, you may access the front page on the podcast you are listening to and click on the support button. Or you can cash out the ministry at dollar sign Dr. Kamla D. That is at dollar sign, capital D, lowercase r, capital C, 
lowercase a-m-a-l-e capital d and donate any amount and remember god loves a cheerful giver and so do we so until next time believers faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god not the word of man we walk by faith and not by what we see i am your host and teacher dr kamala d serving you with christ jesus our lord in peace and love i thank each of you for tuning in and i hope to hear from you soon peace out